Brace. What's happening, baby doll? Okay, question. Uh-huh. Question, hotshot. Okay, um, I can see him under the bright lights here. What's happening? If you were a Transformer, uh-huh. and you had to, or like, you know, don't laugh at me. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. I've been Young Chomsky is laughing, at, laughing at her. I'm. I'm totally. My mouth. I'm. I am here with the most placid face. I look like a like a like a cow just staring at the sun. Yeah, you look like the goose behind you. Yeah. Um. What's the okay. question? If you yeah. were a transformer mm-hmm. and you had to choose what to transform into, yeah. Rail, sea, air. Do you see where I'm going? I see where you're going. Car. Yeah. Are they all cars? Look, you know uh, what I'm saying. I'm not sure, but I know one of them's definitely a car. Yeah. What, Which, what what would I go into? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you choose? I would turn into an A10 Warthog plane. Which one's that? Uh, don't worry about it. After okay. that, I would go to your location, which my um, navigator would have surmised using GPS type equipment and also communicating with uh, you know ground control. My cannons would then open up upon your domicile, flattening it, and in fact, the entire city block that you live on, leaving no survivors and not even a timber there. We would also deliver packages on time and milk to stores that needed it. My shit's all out of whack, baby. My my. What your back? No, your body, my back, my heart, my brain, the supply chain. It's crazy. I'm supposed to be getting spirulina, Saint Mm. John's Wort, Mm. uh, maca, 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 cacao nibs. Sure. Um, goji berries. Are you? Is, is this an energy issue? Are you having issues with energy levels? I don't think I know what those things do, mm. but I I take them in just really insane quantities every single day, and they've made it so I no longer sweat mm. and that I can see through walls. And since the supply chain crisis hit, <clears throat> uh, it's just been really impossible to get any kind of superfood whatsoever. Yeah, moon juice. Yeah, well, chaos. Moon juice still has their supply of it, but I think what they're doing is they've got bootleg South American goji berries instead of the <laughs> real stuff, which we all know comes from the island of Goji off of Macau <laughs> in China. Okay, hello everyone. Hello. I'm Liz. My name is Brace. And of course, we are joined. I no, you know what? I came up with a new one. Check this out. My name is Biracial Jake. Yeah, I saw that right yeah. there on the little screen. Okay, I guess that's what my name is. I think uh, it's we're nice. Of course joined by uh, we got a little supply of lame over here with Young Chomsky, who's hey. been rude to me all day. Actually, that was mean. I'm sorry. Uh, we've got a supply of brain from Young Chomsky, <laughs> who is. <laughs> well, I'll leave that one ambivalent. What am I complimenting him on there? Uh, and of course, the podcast is called What's Up With The Boats? Uh, 
with Liz the B Man and ours and Sailor Jerry on the ones and twos. <laughs> wow, Sailor Jerry. You know, yeah. I haven't thought about that entire kind of aesthetic in a very mm-hmm. long time. That That's- was a moment. Wasn't mm-hmm. it? That was when rockabilly, punk rock, bowling, all that kind of stuff oh, really yeah. was like broke into the mainstream. Right. I was going to say that's post Zoot Suit Riot. Yeah. It was like kind of like the, you know, that kind of tipped over into the Sarah yeah. Jerry Bonanza. Zoot Suit Riot. Riot. Throw back well, okay. a bottle of beer. Wait, no? no, we cannot continue with this. Riot. Riot. <laughs> We're going on a really dark path with this, Liz, and it could turn, it could turn, in, it could turn us into something that you don't want. You're awakening a beast there. I know. Psycho I think you need Billy. a zoot suit. Oh, what? Psycho Billy. Fuck. Yeah. We're not ready for that. We're not ready for that. No. We're, we are All ready the girls for- drinking the espresso martinis, they think they want retro, but they're not ready for the Psycho Billy. Mm-mm. It's coming back. When, when, these, when, these little New, when these little New York skanks <laughs> see me rolling up to the club, it looking like a horny wolf in a cartoon <laughs> with just the sharpest angled yellow suit. My tongue, yeah. my grotesque tongue, more soaked than you could imagine. For some reason, dripping. your hair is like a kind of like a hot pink that's been like coiffed up, mm-hmm. and you just hear the like opening twangs of the cramps yeah. as oh, you're just yeah. like, you know, like. Stalking up to the door of Lucien. Rap, rap, rap. My foot tall creepers (laughs) just crunching with the bones of birds that I step on (laughs) to feed my bloodlust. Yeah, you don't want to see that. My tie tie is six inches wide. I just want to make that. (laughs) And yet two inches long. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. My dick is all fucked up. So, do you know what else was six inches wide and two inches long? Check this out. Check the fucking I king love of segways. It. I know where you're king going. King of fucking segways right here. A, an overhead satellite image of the ever-given cargo ship <laughs> stuck sideways in the Suez motherfucking mm, canal. Yeah. That's right. Bitch. We're t- I'm sorry. <laughs> Cut that. I'm, being t- I'm saying too much gendered language. I think it was fine. Leave it in. It's funny. Okay. That's right. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking supply chain. So, okay. Do you remember Do you remember the Ever Given, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember everyone was like, oh, this is me not wanting to go to work. Oh. Whatever their dumb memes they're making. Oh, <laughs> oh this, is, this is me, like. I hate my husband. (laughs) This is me when the Peloton dings telling me I got to go to Peloton class. I'm stuck in the canal. (laughs) You know what? Some of us actually have been stuck in some fucking canals before, and it's not as fun as you think, asshole. So, okay, March 2021, Mm. the greatest month of my life (laughs) uh, because Mm. of this. Okay. I don't know why I even said that. It's not true. Uh, So this ship. This massive cargo ship carrying one one billion dollars, Doctor Evil style, worth of goods mm. is askew in the Suez Canal. Yeah, akimbo, and akimbo. Yes, baby doll, akimbo. And I, I, I think a lot of people. No one really thinks about shipping. I don't think in the day to day life. Why should you? You know, and honestly, 
this is a this is a common theme with all supply chain issues. Everyone resents when they're reminded of them, and it all yeah. like, oh, you're making me think about this. I I hate that. And the fact is, Anglo Americans have preferred not to think about the Suez Canal ever since 1956, when <laughs> Nasser said, "Why don't you just suck my little fucking dingaling to uh, well to the to the British and the French more?" But anyways, so we see this fucking cargo ship there totally askew. And I think a lot of people, this is a really good visual representation because I think people really need visual representations, which mm. is why they're listening to this podcast, mm. um, of like, ooh, this is something that's a little funky here. Because I think a lot of people maybe had heard there was going to be some supply chain issues, supply chain issues. And then we actually see this like motherfucking thing stuck yeah, this there. this massive and- ship like wedged in, in a tiny, tiny little canal. Way too big. Yeah. Not, it's not too big for the canal, but the thing is the canal, which was, by the way, built by a, let's say, gender-bending Frenchman. Uh, it was a, He was famous for being a cross-dresser. This well, is a word we should him. bring back, gender-bender. Great. I feel like we'll get in trouble if we say that too much, but yeah. I just think it's nice how it rhymes. Yeah, I, I do like it. It's a very, it's very Bowie. Yes, um, absolutely. But uh, yeah, this guy, I mean, he, another one of them Fabian-type socialists. They got mm. all kinds of funky ideas. Um, but you know, this canal was not exactly built for a ship this big because by the way, ships are getting, or yeah, they're getting much, much bigger. And so we see this ship askew and then there's all these images of this teeny little excavator trying to like bust out the bow from fucking, uh, from, Mm -hmm. from the shoreline, which takes about six days to get this bitch dislodged. And meanwhile, Cargo ships are piling up behind it. Some of these motherfuckers are going around the Cape of Good Hope down uh, down, down there south. And uh, it, it, it's just this giant fucking disaster. And I, I, there was a lot, there's sort of a lot of catastrophizing going around. Like, oh my God, like, what if this is just there forever? You know, like supply, <laughs> supply. <laughs> what this is, this oh, is. Oh, you're going to have very... to build an apartment building on it. This is just now exactly. attached to the canal. What are you thinking? People are so stupid. Well, famously, a bunch of ships did get stuck around there during a war with uh, Egypt and Israel. Um, it, but that's a that's a story for another day. Um, for I think years, these ships were actually mm. stuck there. Uh, but the, the there's all of these fucking ships piling up behind. It. I think it's ten billion dollars worth of cargo a day is delayed <laughs> because of it. Because t- about twelve percent of the world shipping goes through the fucking Suez Canal. It connects the Indian to the Atlantic. Two right. pretty big important oceans. Um, but you know it gets dislodged and then things sort of work themselves out. You can get your Nikes and your little fucking laptops off the ship. But it was like many things that have happened in the past couple years. Just portending what's to come. Yeah, because now everything's all fucked up again. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So like we said, we are talking about the supply chain. And I'm Mm -hmm. saying it that way because it's funny. It's like become a meme in and of itself, you know? Like people just refer to this thing, the supply chain, which, you know, is very convenient. Here's a hot tip. If you, listeners at home... If you're late to a party, if you don't want to go to something, if you want to back out of a date, whatever you want to do, just blame it on the supply chain and people will go, oh, yeah, totally. I heard about that. That's so crazy. Heard some yeah. crazy stuff's going on. Oh, I, I can't hang out today. My SSRIs didn't arrive <laughs> because of the supply chain. Yeah, issues. see? It totally works. But mm-hmm. it is like that That in and of, has become its own like political object and it is like – when we we kind of have to break down what it 
is that we mean when we say the supply chain because people yeah. just kind of refer to this thing and it really is this like and we know this because Brace and I have spent the past week trying to understand this shit god I've been oh, it's been so much of that <laughs> but it's this truly impressive massive multiple component network with like interconnecting networks on top of within beside and like intersecting with that network, like a whole system for commodity movement around the globe, manufacturing, shipping, transport, process, distribution, delivery, all circling around over and over and over again. It's like lattice work made by a idiot savant. Yes, absolutely. It's like MC Escher. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like actually that's ha- that's actually how goods get shipped around the world. <laughs> yes. Um and so it is like really impressive in that kind of like awe-inspiring way like when you're looking at like the, you know, a huge hurricane or something, you yeah. know what I mean? Um and trying to kind of wrap your head around not just like how the global commerce system operates, but then at which points there could be issues or where those issues come from based on these kind of like little like pops you start seeing in other places is really complicated. And it's really funny because basically every um, like editor and journalist at Bloomberg or the wall street journal or New York crimes is like completely befuddled and confused and perplexed by all of the kind of seemingly disconnected um, like shortages or overages or whatever that's happening in this in the system and how how all of this could feed into each other in the way that it does. I will say Bloomberg actually uh, like has notably done some pretty good stuff with shipping. But yeah, I mean, it is I, I think people tend to look at just like the supply chain sometimes almost in as a discrete thing mm-hmm. from production uh, when, of course, obviously they're very interconnected. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, historically, right? These are historically situated, um, like, uh, I don't know. I keep wanting to say, like, highway system or, like, bowels. I'm trying to, like, figure out the their historically produced networks, right? That's better. Um, which is to say that, like, they have developed in this way because, you know, uh, the the kind of drive for more and more profit, for more and more efficiency has completely reshaped how work is done in factories and manufacturing centers, but also how things get shipped around the world and distributed and transported. And so to like understand these things, you have to kind of like situate them in that way. They don't just like, nothing just like appears out of nowhere just because it's been invisible to you kind of this whole time, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I I think people can sometimes sort of diagnose what the immediate problem is, but that becomes like disconnected from the historical realities of it and also the present realities of production. I mean, people can even recognize that a lot of this maybe has to do with just-in-time shipping or just-in-time manufacturing, all that kind of stuff. But like there's no you know, people will come. I, I've read a lot of like people's solutions to a lot mm. of the problems that we're going to be talking about in this episode, and and and, and almost none of them will ever occur. Um, yeah, that's just not how capitalism works whatsoever. And so you see a lot of like, I don't know, uh, people trying to come up with solutions, which I, which makes sense because they're in a crisis. You know, obviously someone's going to search around for an answer and stuff like that. But but a hard truth with a lot of this stuff is under the current mode of production that is is exists almost everywhere in the entire planet. Um, 
simply none of these solutions are really going to happen. Or at yeah. least they won't solve the actual problem at its root. It'll just be like a temporary alleviation until the next crisis. Yeah, absolutely. I think, too, that like a lot of things people miss when they're sort of discussing about kind of the odds and ends about what's going on with the supply chain is that like it's not or, or they'll just like point to like demand going up and they'll be like, okay, well – you know, everyone was at home and then now everyone's got more money and now they're just ordering stuff and that's it. Right. And like, it's just a big, one big spike in demand and people can't fulfill the demand, but it's like a bit more complicated than that. And it's important to understand too, that like these supply chains were designed to withstand basically like, I don't know how else to put this, but like maximum impact, (laughs) which I would have, which what that is, is the holiday season is Christmas, yeah. right? Like they were designed in a way to withstand these kind of like insane amount of ordering. So it's yeah. not just that like, oh, there's too much. And like, it, it, it's, it's like at overcapacity. It's that when, uh, you know, the, the, the shortages and these kind of cascading effects from these shortages, like, you know, they show up in these seemingly disconnected markets all of that has to do more so with all the stopping and starting that happened at production facilities at the beginning of the pandemic and even prior to the pandemic, right? That like the halting of production and distribution at various points through this long chain is what is causing a lot of the like catch up or reversing of orders or increasing of orders or like whatever. It's just like kind of total chaos of everyone trying to catch up to these things And this is what's like confusingly called overproduction, right? Yeah. It's called a crisis of overproduction. And what that means is that the market, in this case, like prior to the pandemic, that the market will be have an oversaturation of goods. And when that happens, then production facilities have to shut down because there's no buyers. There's not enough buyers for the goods that they've made. So, okay. Like, let's put this in concrete terms. Say that, uh, the video game Cyberpunk 2077 <laughs> is coming out, right? Uh-huh. Hotly anticipated. And there are they just print so many copies of this of this Blu-ray game over there in Korea or wherever they make games. I'm just assuming it's it's probably in Asia somewhere. They send them over. But there's too many. Too people are people don't want to game that much. There's too many, and so they just have to shut down production over there in Korea because there's just too many copies of Cyberpunk 2077 on American shelves. Yes, absolutely. And so, but when that happens, what happens next? So it's not just then that okay, we shut down. Fine. Now you can sell out of these games, and no one mm-hmm. ever ever has to hear from about it again. Yeah, which is something that I recommend in the case of Cyberpunk 2020, whatever. Yeah. But also that then that that firm that has to shut down, what are the cascading effects from them shutting down? Well, that firm is probably going to have to lay people off or that firm is going to, you know, they're going to halt production on other things to try to like squeeze profits from other places and try to save, you know, their firm from going bankrupt because they've stopped production, right? Mm-hmm. So all these things kind of like start, you know, maybe there is um, a firm that they get packaging from in order to package the game now that firm has to shut down their production because the game production firm doesn't need the packaging anymore right and they go through the same thing and maybe that packaging firm gets more raw materials from a different firm that supplies the plastic or etc etc you can see right 
Yeah, my my now the the DVD cover firm that I run has to make snuff film <laughs> instead of our usual Cyberpunk 2077 fair. <laughs> so this actually did happen prior to the pandemic. This happened uh across a bunch of industries, uh namely auto industry actually. Uh throughout Europe there was yeah. a big there was a bit of an overproduction of cars and so there was a big halting of manufacturing which by the way, that has led to some of the price hikes that we're starting to see in cars right now. So it's not just the the shift in demand that happened. There's some some other things that happened prior to the pandemic. Um, but we also saw this with, you know, like a bunch of uh, machine, like tool companies in Germany or mm-hmm. in China, there was a bunch of like industrial growth. Like there was like a sharp reduction in industrial growth in China right before Wuhan ultravirus. And raw material uh, exports like got cut really big. So what you're seeing then is a bunch of kind of like uh, ramifications from all this, like stopping and starting. Right. Yeah. Cause we went, we went from basically some rather uncertain economic ground right into the pandemic. And then I think a lot of that, like the actual, like prior priors to the pandemic are sort of blamed on coronavirus when Mm. actually that just compounded problems that already existed and of course created new ones as well yeah absolutely we talked about this in one of our like first episodes on covid i don't even remember we were i think we were even talking with alex gags about stuff but we were talking about how uh most of the west like Mm -hmm. germany italy even some parts of the u.s possibly Japan, South Africa, Argentina, we're like already facing recessions, like already staring down the possibility of a recession prior. I mean, this was like in December, January, uh, 2019 or 2020. So then you have what the pan- pandemic hits and, you know, that adds a whole nother layer to, you know, a possible kind of crisis of overproduction that, a bunch of the the big manufacturing hubs we're looking at and big states we're looking at. Yes, that's why they planned it in the first place. <laughs> so, well, let's go back. Let's. I, I think a good way to understand this is to kind of trace the supply chain from basically raw material to the factory to the ship to the shore to the truck to my home or to the store rather and then to my home so we're, let's trace a shipment of goji bears i'm just kidding we're not gonna <laughs> you're obsessed right, with so, these but you guys are what is the fuck is a goji berry no one knows i went to get a juice today and the lady was talking about goji berries and it's i just pretended to know but what that's what is they do. That? That's what they when people don't know what something is, you just go, "Oh yeah, it's a superfood." Oh, and then, you yeah. know, people go, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah." Um, this so all right. Remember when coronavirus, like that whole thing? Mm. You remember that shit? Yeah, that was crazy. That was crazy. <laughs> all right, so back back in January of 2020, um, one of the this is a little prior, of course, to it hitting American shores, but you know there was disturbing reports coming out of China. Uh, you know, you saw the videos of the people in the full fucking, you know, mm. like hazmat get up, which was walking around with guns. It was, I don't really know what happened with all that. I feel like that was a little overkill. 
But uh, January 25th, all right, all the factories, not all, but most of the factories either shut down or go to basically a skeleton crew for the Chinese New Year. And yeah. so this is this happens every single year. It happens, you know, different, not the same day every single year, but this happens every single year. And this is sort of built into like everybody involved in the process of manufacturing and shipping knows this is going to happen. And this is sort of planned for, right? Mm-hmm. And what's sort of threw a loop in it is that that shutdown, which normally happens for about a week, gets extended for almost two weeks after that. Because so of COVID. There's, because of COVID, exactly. So there's basically mm-hmm. a three-week shutdown there. Everyone's kind of worrying and like, you know, this, there was a lot to be, there was a sort of a lot of, a lot of ink spilled, which I feel like I've been saying on the podcast a lot lately. I'm going to stop saying that. A lot of people wrote a lot of fucking words about like, you know, uh, microchips and the, the things that we need for phones are like, you know, the, the factories aren't producing as much. So there could be a shortage of iPhones this year. Uh, you know, Foxconn, Pegatron, all these companies sort of shut down for a while. So they reopen later in February. And it's like, everyone's like, I can get my damn iPhone and have the three cameras to take a weird picture, <laughs> a ultra HD of my veiny little wang. Um, but uh-oh, just what happens just a couple weeks after that, basically everywhere else shuts down. Yeah. So, okay, let's, let's, take a, let's take a trip all the way down to Seth Ifrika. I was right? wondering what voice you what were doing. What accent you're about I'm, to do there? You know uh-huh. what? It's Biracial one, Jake, baby. Good. Yeah, he could have been anything. <laughs> but no, I'm white. And uh, in fact, I'm blue, which is, is just one of the most oppressed minorities in the world. And uh, we're over here playing Sun City in South Africa. And I read in the newspaper, uh, the Racist Times, which is I am a subscriber to, like every other boo here. And uh, I read that they're shutting down the mines uh, in South Africa. So, all right, South Africa has a lot of fucking mines and mm. a lot of minerals. And uh, China really depends on some of them, yeah. right? Um, there is particularly um, chrome ore. South yeah. Africa supplies like almost all of China's uh, China's chrome ore, which they need to make stainless steel, which you can imagine – comes in handy if you're trying to produce things. So they shut down all of these mines. Now, keep in mind, it is shitty to be a fucking miner in South Africa to begin with. Many of you may remember beloved Daily Show host Trevor Noah's unhinged two-minute rant uh, on at a stand-up show in South Africa where he basically tells zero jokes but says that it was good or in fact, at le- very least understandable that 34 mine workers were killed by a British-owned platinum companies ordering the police to do it in 2012 uh, because they were on strike. Let's uh, play a little audio right here. But everyone has an opinion. I like this. Everyone, everyone knows what should have been done. You know, people on the radio, people on the news. Yeah, you know, these bloody police, these bloody police have gotten out of hand. They're busy shooting people and they, you know, why didn't they use rubber bullets? Why didn't they use rubber bullets and tear gas? Because those things don't work anymore. Um, <laughs> they used it the whole week and they, they couldn't control people, so they had to come with ammunition because those guys had weapons. Plus, tear gas is a waste of time. Which strike has ever ended because of tear gas? Where have you ever heard that on the news? And after the police deployed the tear gas, everybody went home. No, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't happen. Tear gas has just become part of a strike now. It's like a little smoke machine. It's just like, you know, adds ambiance to the atmosphere. It's just, you know? Now, I may not understand some of that famous South African sense of humor, but... I don't, I just, where's the joke, brother? 
Anyways, uh, it's not great to be a miner there anyway. I mean, the, 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 you are, you are getting paid bad wages. Uh, a lot of the times the ANC, which is a very corrupt party is in bed with your mining union, which is of course also, I mean, the government is also in bed with the mining companies. It's a whole fucking mess. And you are the, it's, it's awful. And if you were living in one of the local communities around the mines and you complain about anything to do with the mines, someone's going to come to your house and put a fucking bullet in your head often the behest of Western-owned companies. Anyways, moot point right now because no one's working on the mines. 450,000 South African workers are out of work for about three weeks. That shuts down a bunch of raw material shipments to China. And that doesn't just happen in South Africa. That happens in Chile. That happens all around the world. So all of these minerals cannot be sent over to China. And what does that mean? That means there's more delays in production. That means that the factories are unable to produce oftentimes the same things that they were able to, and at the very least at the same levels that they were able to, causing basically further delays, even if there aren't as many shutdowns. We should talk for a second about modern production lines too, because Mm -hmm. production has been, I mean, you know, manufacturing specifically was, you know, has obviously gone through a couple different revolutions. Um, but one of the ones that <laughs> kind of got swept under and then everyone kind of adopted without realizing it was Taylorism. Yes. <laughs> like everyone always talks about Fordism, understandably, but Taylorism, which, you know, to be fair, like was beaten back with <laughs> ma- massive strikes by steel workers, uh, has been pretty much adopted, uh, with it without like, you know, w- without its name being mentioned by almost every firm around the world. You can thank like people like McKinsey and like business management consultants for that, because mm-hmm. these are the guys who come in and they say, Hey, you know what we need? We need to get more efficient. Yes. We need everything to be much leaner and more efficient. I will say as somebody who worked on what is essentially a factory floor. I mean, I worked on uh, basically on conveyor belts. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, it, the brewery that I worked at for, for several years was, uh, I mean, I, if you're involved in the bottling or canning or anything like that, like I was, it is a factory. Yeah. And let me tell you, one of the main things that we talked about was if anyone ever comes to you and says the E word, which is efficiency, that motherfucker is trying to fuck you. And they're trying to make you do more work. Yes. And you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The approach is basically this. You break down each component of Mm -hmm. a production line into like minute repetitive tasks that you then assign to a different worker. And so each task in that production line, like one person is responsible for, and you can optimize each task to like, uh, you know, make it the most efficient form of its own of the of that you know component, either by timing or by you know um like changing like uh, the the way that the task is approached or whatever, right? And so it's not a management approach of hey, this is your job, go and do it, but hey, faster, no wait, do it faster and do it faster now, and basically evaluating different workers against each other based on the different tasks. And then finding the most efficient route for each one to, f- to meet production schedule, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I feel like people hearing this will be like, yeah, but like, isn't that how everything works? Yes, that's how everything works now. 
<laughs> this is like, uh, this really wasn't, um, you know, the way that it always was. And it's the most, I think the most grotesque and garish when, you know, if you think about it in the, you know, in an Amazon warehouse where you have guys that are like, you only do this one thing every day and you are timed to make sure that you complete this one task. Yep. That you have to do every day. Now, also imagine, you know, physical work, doing the same thing, repetitive motion, especially if you're doing something heavy or, you know, you're doing something with dangerous objects, which that's what production is, right? Like you can really hurt yourself. I worked on the keg line for a long time and that was eight hours a day of me lifting up kegs scrubbing them as fast as I could of the oftentimes I gotta say any of you motherfuckers who rent a keg from a goddamn Bevmo or anything like that don't put your spaghetti on it because that happened multiple times and I think that's weird that you returned it in that state yes Liz that is what happened that's and really I had weird. to clean it yes I know also what are you people doing getting kegs of kombucha I don't well, oh my god are, don't even get me started on that Oof. baby uh, but yeah, no, I mean, that's what I did all day, every day. I mean, granted, we did switch tasks sometimes, right? Like sometimes mm. I would be on the opposite end of the keg line working the keg crane. Mm. But it's Usually like, it's you don't. Same. Yeah, 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 yeah. Usually you don't. But also it's become more, uh, more dangerous for people's bodies, right? You're doing the same thing yeah. over and over again. You've got like an increase in joint pain. You're, it's an increase in you like hurting yourself and your muscles are not meant to be <laughs> used in that way over and over in the same motions. But it is the most efficient way to lean out production, AKA to squeeze yeah. profits. Right. Yeah. It fucked my shit up. I yeah. Will say it that. fucks it up a lot of up. people. The other thing that kind of like goes in tandem with this is something that you mentioned earlier called just in time manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And this is like, um, you know, this comes out of Japan and there's a whole bunch of reasons for it. Um, Toyota made it really famous, but it's not just about optimizing speed, but also predictability. So to like do that, to fully optimize production, what they do is they lean out these, these lines, these different chains in the production line and have everything kind of perfectly planned out at each step of the way. The idea being so that you don't hold as much inventory on hand. So you reduce costs there at any given time. And that you, if this is all perfectly timed, you know, correctly, that you can mm-hmm. deliver the product more efficiently, right? That's the other, that's the word, efficiency. Yeah, and which so, again, never, ever let anyone say that word to you. <laughs> yeah. And it's basically a production method aimed at reducing flow times between systems, reducing response times between suppliers and customers. And so you get comp- firms, you know, you get like a reduction in inventory, a redu- reduction in labor costs. That's the key. Reduction in the space that they need to operate. You can operate out of these like tiny little, you know, you don't need much real estate because you're only like dealing with one component and you don't have a lot of materials on you at any given time, only mm-hmm. when you need them. You're able to increase production because you've planned properly. You can reduce the hours that you're there. And the big thing, you can it's a huge increase in shipping because now all these different, you know, all these different firms are responsible only for one little task in a long production line, right? And it goes along perfectly with globalization too. I mean, you see that Absolutely. like it's every like in in any given car, like half the parts are assembled all across the world. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, even if the car itself is made in America, most of those parts were actually made in any given place you could name where there's manufacturing. 
Well, that's the, you know, that's what's funny that you mentioned the iPhones um, earlier. And one of the big issues that Apple was running into recently was that even though the phones are made in China, they're actually packaged in Malaysia, mm-hmm. <laughs> which sounds absurd. But this is like, this is the way production is done around the globe now. It's that much cheaper for them to then ship those unfinished iPhones to then get packaged in Malaysia to then get sent to wherever the European or the American or wherever markets, right? For sale. Yeah. And then, so recently when Malaysia had a huge outbreak of COVID and had to shut down, that paused a bunch of iPhones (laughs) just because they needed to get wrapped in fucking cling plastic or whatever. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing that we see with COVID, right? Is it shuts down all of these different places, but in a sort of staggered manner. Mm -hmm. And so that really does not jive with globalization, right? Because you kind of need everything open at the same time. China in particular has been, I mean, if there's like one case somewhere, they'll shut down like the whole port, Mm -hmm. right? And yeah. that has been a big headache for a lot of shippers. China, you know, it's, it, it's, there's, I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of a powerhouse of this stuff. So it, it doesn't affect them as much as it affects the people that rely on those ports in order to get their goods shipped. And so it's been, um, it's been sort of interesting to watch these cascading effects over all these sort of staggered and different shutdowns in different places because of different reasons. Absolutely. Okay, so we've got the production shit out of the way, but once we produce this iPhone, I'm here in Malaysia, and I'm 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 at the Apple office. Uh, with I'm a the sat rap of Malaysia, and with you know I'm being carried on what one of those things where like uh like people carry you forth on like a little throne, like mm. British people did in India all the time. Palanquin. Palanquin. I'm on a palanquin. Okay. And uh, I'm heading to the iPhone factory to get these things shipped out. And what I need to do is get my containers to put these in. So every single person listening to this knows what a fucking storage container is, right? <laughs> I hope so. Like you, you've seen you you've seen one today. They're everywhere. Yeah. But cargo was not always shipped this way. Uh, no. You, <laughs> Even though it seems like someone would have come up with this a lot earlier than they did, that's not the case. No, it was um, like the 1940s or 50s when this guy, 50s. it's Malcolm McLean, which is like the most mid-century American name I've ever heard in my life. Just like mm-hmm. sounds like a fucking, a walking madman. Um but he was like, hey, I've got this idea. We should make this more efficient because, like, imagine if everything was shipped in one container that was standardized across the industry. And everyone's like, Malcolm, you're crazy. We're, we love our way wild. where we just, like, get an army of dudes to put bail, like a s- bales and sacks over their shoulders and haul things. That's, like, way better. Malcolm, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know. And he convinces the U.S. government who is right now in the throes of having to move a ton of um, goods Mm -hmm. (laughs) during the Vietnam War. (laughs) So Malcolm has this idea, and he convinces the U.S. government to give him a huge contract, and they're shipping all this stuff to Vietnam because they're in the midst of the Vietnam War, and they got to ship a bunch of guns and poison and ammo 
all the way over there. And so he gets the U.S. military to like use all his ships. And that starts the kind of standardization that we see now. Eventually, they're going to ports and other ports are like, damn, like, man, it would be like way easier if we use the containers that you use. And then everyone else was like, oh, damn, maybe we should have cranes made to like pick stuff up because we're all using these shipping containers, they're all the same. Let's make cranes specifically for these shipping containers. And everyone's like, damn, this is like way easier. We're doing all this business with the US and this is how they do it. Why don't we just do the same thing? And boom, that's how containerization gets adopted around the world. And part of it too was there was a, uh, let's say a fight over efficiency at the ports as Mm. well. Um, And the containerization was also a way in order to really reduce the amount of longshoremen there were and thus you know in a, in a large way by auto, not automating but mechanizing a lot of longshore's tasks actually try to take the power out of their hands as well absolutely um, and so that there was a big fight over that and the e word came up a ton during that battle um but of course i mean you know in in many ways it mirrors like the push towards automation or excuse me, automation at some of the ports, particularly the, uh, I think it's the pilot port at Long Beach, the port of Long Beach. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, it really, it sort of, it, it's, it rhymes a lot with this. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so we've got our container full of iPhones, right? And we're like, we got to get it to these pathetic American pigs because I've been in Malaysia for so long that I've gone Colonel Kurtz native. Absolutely. And so while I'm still really dismissive towards anyone in the native population and I've not learned to speak uh, Malay or I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible sat rap, but I think I've gone native. I'm just wearing a sari, which I think people wear there. They don't actually, but my guy does. Um, anyways, we got to get it on the ship, right? But, oh no, what? It's taken so long that it's, it's October, 2021. <laughs> And there's a hundred ships anchored off of Long Beach and LA ports. No, I'm sure many of you freaks and sickos have seen the aerial footage of a lot of Mm. goddamn ships parked out there like a fucking lot lizard parking lot, you know, like the back of a circle K that has a lot of hot lot lizards in it. And, uh, are there lot lizards for ships? Oh, think about this there should be i think that they're i think those are just regular ship frogs ship frogs yeah yeah barnacles (laughs) i I did something that's more like you know an amphibian i did hear i did hear a phrase that we don't have to include in this episode but i heard while talking to a sailor yesterday that was called only queer at the pier and i don't know what that means okay you don't like that one okay no it's really good yeah, you know uh, I like stuff that rhymes. We've there established was a lot that of, there was a lot. There's a lot of rhyming euphemisms <laughs> that for sailors. I found okay. We've got these images of like a hundred ships docked off, or not docked. Yeah. Excuse me, very much not docked. Anchored off of Long Beach, mm-hmm. loitering off of Long Beach. Mm. This breaks September's record of 97 ships, and I want to put this in perspective. During a normal month, there. There's usually about 17 ships anchored waiting to unload. But the thing is, that's like really only the tail end of the problem we see. I mean, it is it is not like I think a lot of people see those ships, right? And they're like, well, we just need to get these ships unloaded. 
Yeah, that's been what everyone said. They're like, oh, why don't we just have people literally work 50 hours a day to get them unloaded and then it'll be fine. Problem solved. Yes. And thing is it, that that is not actually going to solve the problems. There was a lot of ballyhoo made about Biden's announcement that the ports are going to be running 24-7. Now, the ports already want, run 21 hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> and so extending it by three hours, which I think they've done, but it's not going to really make that much of a difference because there's not really a place to put all of those containers, mm. right? It is, I mean, this is, I don't even know how I'm going to organize my thoughts right here because there's a lot of different things that are going on. But one of the big problems is, uh, so there's, you know, obviously on the on the Pacific coast of America, there are, you know, two routes. You can go, you can go westbound or you can come in, come in eastbound, right? Mm-hmm. I guess you can go southbound too. But the big money is from East and West trade because obviously a lot of our goods come from from China or at least come from that direction, right? And so bringing containers over on ships from there is a pretty profitable enterprise. The thing is right now, all these ships want to get back to China so quickly to to load up again. Mm -hmm. And because that uh, is so profitable right now, which I'll talk about in a sec, considering that the con- the price of shipping a container over has let's say gone up quite a bit that they aren't actually bringing a lot of empties back so the containers come over full they want to get them unloaded as quickly as possible but they want to get those ships back there as quickly as possible so like don't even load up with empties and the thing is when they do load up with empties they're apparently so often like poorly lashed to the actual ship that they just fall off constantly <laughs> <laughs> which is <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just not as much money in it, right? Yeah. But when COVID started, um, you know, a lot of ships canceled their sailings, and then there was this big push to get PPE sent out from a lot of it manufactured in Asia, and so a lot of these ships went to places they wouldn't usually go, you know, to or to to ports that were there would usually have a little bit of traffic, but not nearly as much because they were delivering all this PPE. Those containers get unloaded at those ports, and then those countries. A lot of smaller countries don't have a ton of exports. So those containers are just basically stuck at those ports there. And so there's this big container crisis and, you know, there's not a lot of places to unload them. I mean, it's, it's, uh, the thing is right now, if you're a manufacturer in China or if you're a firm trying to get your goods over from China, instead of paying one to $3,000 for a shipping container to get your, you know, your goods, Mm -hmm. you are paying Fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. I mean, it's absurd. So, if you're trying to ship, you know, your shipment of goods over there in one of these containers that we're talking about, you are paying an extraordinarily high price. Some of the highest prices that there's ever been. And then, even after you pay those prices, your 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 ship with the or the ship that the container's on is maybe going to be stuck at port for who fucking knows how long before it actually gets unloaded. According to Bloomberg, actually, 77% of ports in the world right now are suffering delays, which is pretty fucking crazy. Yeah, they're making insane profits right now, these companies. And that seems to not be talked about too much (laughs) when people are talking about shortages and inconveniences and, you know, waiting for their goods to arrive. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like all of these big cargo carriers and these shipping firms and everything like that are making just absurd amounts of money. 
So Maersk, which is one of the biggest shipping companies, mm-hmm. I'm sure if you've ever seen a cargo ship, you've seen yeah, Maersk Yeah, yeah, that's what it says. In Oakland, there's like 80 billion of them right on the, yeah. the port right now. Yeah, Maersk is always rock, rolling in there. Yeah. So they were projected to make about $6 billion this year at the beginning. Now, it looks like they're about to make $15 billion, which is fucking insane. Some of these companies are making enough money just this year to cover all of their investments in everything from the past 20 years. Some of these companies are making more money than they've made since the 1800s. I mean, it is a a boon. And these shipping companies are making, I mean, we're talking, you know, adjusted for inflation. Uh, But like these shipping companies are making absurd amounts of money. But that has these secondary effects that we were talking about, right? Because if it costs fifteen to twenty thousand dollars to get a container full of goods to uh, just on a ship to the U.S., that means a lot of smaller firms yeah. who are used to who are used to shipping stuff over are simply unable to afford it. Yeah, you know who can afford it is Amazon, Home Depot, all the big box retailers, right? And so what we have here is almost a great reset style execution of a lot of small businesses or at least really fucking up their profits because all these big companies amazon they can afford it right Mm. you know they make a shit ton of money they can afford to take a little bit of a loss or not even a loss but just less growth than they thought there was gonna be. well they'll probably take a big loss this year but yeah or this quarter yeah yeah but yeah but they but they can afford it right that 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 can they are they are unlike the supply chain very resilient in that case (laughs) but a lot of smaller businesses can't and we're not really feeling those effects so much right now but Mm -hmm. i think that we will especially if this if these the price per container goes up i mean who knows it could go down it could be stable but it's it's not going to be good for the little guy Well, Brace, I have a question because we're talking about these ships, but aren't there people that staff these ships that work on these ships? So here's the deal, baby doll. All right. 90% of goods in the world are taken here and there, touched on it. They're on a ship at some point, Mm. right? I mean, we live in a globalized world. You know, everything's connected, right? It's like everyone's just giving, everyone goes to the UN and gives each other one big hug. But right now, there are thousands, possibly tens of thousands. Nobody really knows at the moment. At one point, there was at least 400,000 sailors who are essentially stuck at sea. That is fucking insane. So there are, of course, for every sailor who's stuck at sea, there is another sailor, one-to-one, who's stuck at shore waiting to get a job and who can't work and thus can't make money being a, being a, a seafarer. So between March and August of 2020, only about 25% of crew changes were actually able to occur. So baby doll, a crew change is essentially, I mean, it's, it is what it is, right? Like your, your crew gets changed out for a fresh crew because as many people know from consuming media, maybe spending a little too much time on a ship, you start to go a little Captain Queeg, if you know what I mean. <laughs> start rolling the ball around in your hand, getting a little crazy up there looking for the, well, that's a Moby Dick, but looking for the white whale, you know? Um, and, and the thing is with COVID, 
all of these borders were closed mm. and nobody was allowed to get off a ship. And so a lot of the times when a crew change occurs, right, say that you know, I, I'm on a vessel and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm like most seafarers, I'm Filipino or Indian or Bangladeshi. And we are in, uh, let's say, Colombia, right? There can't, be, there's no flights coming into Colombia from India at that point. So we actually can't be changed over. And so my contract is extended. My seven-month contract is extended and extended and extended and extended. It's, I mean, 25% of crew changes. That means 75% of crew changes did not occur. And so seafarers are only allowed to be at sea under like international conventions for 11 months, a maximum of 11 months. And that is, that is a very long, long. Yeah. Well, the thing is usually, baby, you know, you you end up in a port, you can disembark. Mm. You get shore leave. You can leave the ship. Yeah. And you've got all your side chicks at all the different ports. Exactly. A woman in every port. And then, you know, the guy, you know, you kind of fuck around with at sea. You know, that's home is where the heart is kind of stuff. Anyway, so no one's actually allowed to leave these ships at any point. So not only is your contract extended indefinitely, you're actually not allowed to leave the ship under any circumstances. And I'm not just saying like you can't leave the ship to go uh, buy a fucking SIM card to call your wife at home. No, you actually can't even leave the ship if you like lose an eye or if you're sick. Or if a family member dies, like there is absolutely nothing you can do. And this is still going on. This has led to a huge mental health crisis among seafarers. This has also led to a lot of people who had their contract. I mean, I heard, I was talking to, I've, I've talked to a, you know, a few sailors for this episode. I, they were telling me uh, that there's, there's guys who've been at sea now for like literally two years. Dude. And who have not left a ship for two years. The thing is, and, and we'll talk about flags and convenience in a second. The thing is with this is if you can't leave the ship for two years, and if you're on a fucking like um, a vessel registered in like Liberia, who's maybe owned by a, let's say, less than upstanding company, you also might not get paid for months in an end. So, and what's it called when you uh, can't leave somewhere and no one pays you, but you have to work? Indentured fucking servitude or slavery. The thing is, a lot of these guys literally are indentured servants because remember that Gia Tolentino episode? Mm, I liked that episode so much. Me too. She's a wonderful woman. <laughs> Solidarity. Oh, I'm sorry. Gia. No, I was yeah, I was talking about I used I did a podcast with her for a little while under a different name, so you might not have heard it. But uh, you know, we, we talked about in that episode, like employee placement programs, right? right like recruiters. Right, right. Mm. Where they actually lend you or take a placement fee of a large amount of money, and then you pay a, spend a long time taking no wages for yourself, just paying them back. Well, considering almost, I think it's twenty eight percent of seafarers are Filipino, and I can talk about you know that I, I've read more about that than anywhere else. A lot of these guys are placed with recruiting agents. Those recruiting agents who are like low level and who are basically like they they the shipping companies have plausible deniability because they're like I don't know we just hired these contractors. You pay them a bunch of money to place you on a ship. They know how much money you're going to make, and they essentially make you pay them back for your like entire first voyage. And if you don't pay them back, you can't get another job and you owe them money and all this sort of stuff. So it's essentially, it's literally indentured servitude. So we're talking about this great movement of goods around the world. Uh, Very few seafarers are actually, uh, like, it's 
a lot of seafarers are treated very badly, even if they might be paid relatively okay for the country that they hail from. The treatment of seafarers is atrocious. And so you have all of these essentially floating sweatshops or even sometimes worse than sweatshops around the world in this great trillions of dollars of goods being moved by people who sometimes are essentially in prison, right? And so like you're seeing these people sacrificed to keep this this global movement going because everyone wants to keep the cost down, keep the cost down, keep the cost down, keep the cost down. And something that can cost a lot of money is labor. And so you're basically, I mean, we're seeing people who are essentially shanghai right now. Another thing, and I'll shut up in a second, but another thing too, and this is something that a lot of American companies are doing. So because of the crisis with a lot, you know, you know, it's like you can't get a fucking, so much to get a container on one of these big cargo mm-hmm. vessels. They're basically hiring spot charters, which are maybe, you know, it could be a sugar ship, something that's maybe not used to. Uh, it, it, there's, a, there's several different definitions there, but basically like a contract ship, right? Okay. You know, a, a, let's say mercenary ship. Although that's it's not actually bad to work on one of these. Um, companies like Coke Industries, I think Bloomberg actually reported this, are getting verbal confirmations from the um, from the ship owners that there will be no crew change. So even wait, if it's what does that yeah. mean exactly? Like why would Coke Industries want that? Because that could slow down the movement of cargo. So if you are a sailor on one of these ships and you guys are supposed to get, you know, you're picking goods up in, uh, in you know, Malaysia and you might make a stop in Australia to drop some off, blah, blah, blah. If you're supposed to do a crew change there, they don't want any sort of like hold time with like quarantining or testing or anything like that. Like time is fucking money. Get this shit to America right now. And so all of these big companies, and I guarantee you every single one of them, Amazon, Home Depot, Ikea, all of them down the line. Anybody who's getting a spot charter that's like a big fucking mm-hmm. company right now that's a foreign that's a foreign flagged charter is is asking for this no crew change shit. And nobody, nobody is going to take responsibility for this because with shipping, I mean, there's charts I've seen of it. And it's like, I mean, you want to talk about lattice work. There's like 50 different companies involved in all on the lines here. And so that means nobody's held responsible for any of this shit. There's basically no recourse for sailors whatsoever. The last thing with shipping that we got to keep in mind too, and we, I kind of want to do a longer episode on this someday, so I'm mm. not going to get too into it because I don't want to give too many spoilers for that one. <laughs> but you know, we were talking about this before the episode about flagged ships, right? Yeah. So every ship has to technically be registered with a, a, a country because that means, I mean, those ships are basically little representatives of that country at sea because the sea is obviously, it's international. You kind of need some sort of you right, some right, law right. and order. But most ships, in fact, the majority of ships in the world are registered in countries that uh, basically have flags of conveniences or FOCs. Um, This means that like, for instance, every single cruise ship that is owned by an American company, like Carnival Cruise, all these, every single cruise ship that it comes out of America is actually chartered in another country. Like Carnival Cruise, for example, every single ship is Panamanian from the Bahamas or from Malta? The three most trustworthy, safest yes. country. You know, true non seal of approval. We have offices in Panama, the Bahamas, uh-huh. and Malta because uh, there are three favorite countries. Well, here's the deal, baby. Did you know that Panama actually has a shipping fleet larger than the US and China combined? <laughs> I mean... Panama is like smaller than Manhattan. <laughs> Does it, at that point, I think it means that the shipping fleet has Panama. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it essentially does. So, all right, Panama was one of the first flags of convenience countries, and that means that like during Prohibition, if you had an American ship, you could register it out of Panama, mm-hmm. and that means you could run booze a lot easier because it's not an American vessel. Oh, interesting. But this really got going after World War II when <laughs> – okay, bear with me on this. Roosevelt's former Secretary of State, please, please, please let me get his name right. I think you should get his name wrong. Edward Stettinius uh, goes to Liberia and at the behest of American ship owners and essentially convinces them to open up a open registry, meaning anyone can register their ship there. They have their shipping laws written by representatives of Standard Oil. And after that, off to the fucking races, baby. Half the fucking ships you'll goddamn see at, at sea, you'll see at sea, are registered out of Liberia, which, as you can imagine, not great for the laborers on those ships. Um, it, th- full 39% of vessels at sea right now are registered out of Panama, the Marshall Islands, and Liberia. Oof. It's fucking insane because that means that these ships actually follow the labor laws of those countries. And as you can imagine, baby doll, the labor laws of Liberia and Panama, not so great. And in fact, they're separate from their regular labor laws, like the ship, the ship bound ones, because the shipping company is wanted like that. This will not change. In fact, this problem will just continually get worse and worse and worse and worse. It's impossible to strike on a lot of these fucking um, vessels. A lot of these, it's basically impossible to have a union. I think union density is only about 27% at sea. I mean, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And all every single corporate, I mean, global shipping relies on essentially the sacrifice of blood and these people's fucking livelihoods. It's, it's, it is, you want to talk about blood rituals. This is a fucking blood ritual. It's insane. You know, it's a lattice work of ships going through the world, do resemble almost veins, like a complex vein system. And there really is blood in each of these with these little fucking sailors killing themselves because they can't get off the ship because they're going insane. Anyways, back to America. So once you brace mm-hmm. our little sailor, mm-hmm. our merchant marine. I'm a, I'm we have a lolly. <laughs> I'm wearing a little sailor outfit. <laughs> no, so now you're at the port. You got the goods. Mm-hmm. You made uh-huh. it. Thank God, my Lenovo laptop is here. <laughs> Long Beach. Let's say let's say you dock at Long Beach. I don't practice Santeria. I ain't got no crystal ball. <laughs> I had a million. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Home of the Long Beach Dub All-Stars. Yes. So now you're there. Now what? Now what happens? Well, okay. The the First of all, there are 10 billion empty shipping and full shipping containers stacked up and everyone's yelling at me the poor little dock worker because they say i can't get rid of them fast enough (laughs) not my fucking fault i unloaded them off the ships how come they're still here well that's because of the most vile people in the world maga style truckers aren't coming (laughs) to pick them up because they're lazy no Too busy listening to country music. (laughs) No. So a lot of, uh, we've said Ballyhoo a couple times, right? Mm -hmm. There's been, there's more Ballyhoo that's being made about a shortage of truckers. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and there's basically, there's, there's like two different shortages hitting trucking. There's a shortage of drivers and then there's a shortage of trucks. Mm-hmm. And both are kind of colliding to create this perfect storm where all this shit is sitting because it can't get on trucks quick enough. Yeah, there's also, you, you forgot to mention, there's actually an oversaturation of lot lizards in the market right now too. And so that's really, that's really fucking things up at the Circle K. I just want to point to the, what's, can you read the first note I have under, like right here under trucking? All right. Yes, I will. But I do want to add an addendum to it. Liz wrote, we've got too many notes for this episode. Liz wrote, driving a truck fucking sucks ass. (laughs) But to be clear, you nor I have never driven a truck or any (laughs) other vehicle. Now, I want to be clear. I don't mean just driving a vehicle. Although I have my own ideas about whether or not that sucks fucking ass or whatever. Can you do wheelies in trucks? No. Then you shouldn't drive them. But driving a truck in America... Like driving long haul, long haul trucking fucking sucks ass. It was, to be clear, this is like one of the first major industries to get deregulated, like way back in the 70s. And it's been a fucking shit show ever since. The American Trucking Association is like, oh, we need like 80,000 drivers to meet demand. And there's been a shortfall, a kind of like chronic shortfall of drivers since like 2008, because and a lot of people don't remember this. There was a huge collapse in the trucking industry during the recession, and it never really mm. recovered. Like everything else that we're talking about, there's sort of like uh, the jobless, horrible recovery that has been happening yeah. for like 10 years or whatever in all these industries. And I, I mean, I don't know. It, it is, I think a lot of people have heard horror stories about about trucking it's the the union density is very low it's really just the teamsters everyone else is basically um you know like again like in every other industry has been classified as an independent contractor yes one man one van yes one man one van that's right and they get paid by the mile not the hour that means that they're responsible as an independent contractor for their truck for their like you know everything the repairs for everything that goes into all of that electronics yeah all of it and in addition they aren't paid for their time they're paid from whether what you know how fast they can get something from point a to point b right and the the thing is too like i have worked at jobs where we had we had things picked up and delivered by trucks by like big rigs and let me tell you sometimes these guys had to wait a long fucking time yeah, and you don't get paid for that. Like there's no. a you know, there's a federal law that says they can drive 11 hours within a 14-hour window. Uh and so you have to stop for like a 10-hour break in between that. And bec- and that sounds good, you know, that's sh- that's good. You can't you should not be driving <laughs> more than that like for your health, for everyone else's health on the road. It can be dangerous, all of those things, right? But because they're paid by the mile and not the hour, you are just like constantly staring at the clock. Like stuck in traffic, eating time, you have to get to point B before you're like legally mandated to take a break. And once you get to point B, you don't get paid to sit there while the cargo gets loaded or unloaded, right? So Mm -hmm. if that takes like two and a half hours or when there's a huge backlog and that takes 24 hours, you're just fucking sitting there not getting paid. Yeah. Exactly. And and it's it's a huge problem. I mean, this is this is a big a big thing that the ILWU has has wanted to do is have every single truck that comes through the port gates be union. 
They wanted to have a union card, but it's simply just like, I mean, for a variety of reasons, because I mean, this is, this is sort of the same in some sense for basically every industry. Like there's very little union density now. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's owner operators, like all down the line, except obviously for the Teamsters, like you said, but it's, it's really just, yeah, it's, it's not great. Cause there's not a lot of protections out there. Every man on his own. And like, you know, you don't come into, co- it's not like a regular shop floor where you like, you come into contact with a lot of people, the same people consistently. It's like, yeah, it's, it's not great. No, it's incredibly lonely work. It's incredibly like, I mean, the pay is, is really not great for what you're being tasked to do. And the government's response to all of these, like, you know, buildups and, and, you know, backlogs is, oh, we're just gonna, you know, the American Trucking Association is like, oh, let's just uh, reduce the age to 18. Yeah. And it's like, so you're going to have a bunch of 18 year olds on the road. <laughs> In these huge trucks when doing TikToks. <laughs> no, but none of the fucking none of the actual issues, which are the the you know, state of independent contractors, the pay, the safety, all of that gets resolved, right? It's like, oh, we'll just uh throw more of it at the problem. But that's not gonna work. I, I think a big part of this is sort of what we see. I've actually kind of seen all down the line here, right? Is that like Conditions are bad and people are paid badly in order for the end results, which are the, the sort of consumer and also um, company have the sort of shared interest in keeping costs low so people buy a bunch of shit, but also keeping profits really high, right? And so it, it leads you to realize that like some things just like are too cheap. <laughs> like these companies are like making, you know, like they, they, it's like it's like kept artificially low and that makes actually the supply chain less resilient, mm-hmm. but more efficient. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about efficiency, right? If you lean things out like this, whether it's on the labor level or on the production level or, you know, or the technology level or however, and all of those things, of course, you know, come together, like when you lean it out, you reduce the possibility of redundancy. But when you reduce the possibility of redundancy, you get rid of the kind of like padding that can help ease moments of crisis. Yeah. Right. And so all of these little things then end up being bigger shocks to the system because there is nothing, there's no redundancy or there's no like extra fat to absorb, you know, yeah. some of the shock. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's sort of the astounding thing you see around here is like things are kept, people are kept. Things and people are kept really lean and in and, and it's sort of this like very fragile state. And if anything happens to anything at all in the line, like right now there's this this chassis crisis where they, they don't have enough uh, chassis to put on trucks or and enough truckers and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that that can happen basically anywhere on this chain we're seeing. Like right now the bottleneck may be with truckers, but it could very easily be somewhere else along the line with any of this because it's all so fucking fragile. Because people aren't paid enough, people are treated like shit, but these companies got to keep the profits high and the goods, the flow of goods moving. And like that is the that is the ultimate thing right here because all of that we just said, like literally almost everything down the line, the end result of that and the goal of that is to make to make usually Western companies a shit ton of fucking money and to get consumer goods for cheap for consumers. It's, it's, and like, it's, it's like, 
I'm not saying any of this like, oh, you know, you can stop, you can opt out of this system or I'm not, and I'm definitely not being like one of those people who's like, well, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, which by the way, one of the most annoying phrases <laughs> repeated by some of those annoying people in fucking history. It's just like, this is the way it is. And like, this is an unjust global system like that, that, that is, that is, I mean, it is lubed and greased with basically uh, the the one the one commonality, not the one commonality, but one of the main commonalities that almost every worker we've described in this episode has is that they can't really see their fucking families because whether you're like a, a Vietnamese factory worker who's living in a tent on the premises of the fucking factory or you're an Indian sailor who's been stuck at sea for 13 fucking months and hasn't got a SIM card or you're an American trucker who's fucking on the road constantly getting paid shit, losing your fucking mind and also fucking up your body because trucking does fuck up your body. All that is these people sacrificing their life and their 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 souls in a, in a big way because I mean a lot of family stuff is uh in order to get like a fucking PS5 from one place or another in order to make fucking Sony a bunch of money which of course that is not a western company but you get the point So what we're saying is here, we're doing an Adbuster style, don't buy anything for Christmas campaign. Well, the thing that you mentioned is that this keeps this stuff moving and grooving and, you know, the circuit of capital keeps on, a, you know, accruing and chucking along and oops, spoiler alert. No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Sand in the gears. Things are awry. And yes. we have discussed this kind of like labor and production side. But for our dear listeners, we are next episode going to talk on the flip side of that. Little capital, mm-hmm. little money, little inflation, question mark. What's uh, what's this all doing to Mr. Market? Yes. Next week, we shall be discussing something very dear to my heart. Ding-a-ling, ding, 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 the slot machine ring. And the money comes to me. We are talking about high roller slots at Barongo Casino (laughs) next week. And how, if enough of us play them for a long enough time. No, no, you're right. We're going to be talking about some money. Yeah. Well, anyways, Liz, I wish I could buy you a smile, but unfortunately, I'm all out of change. (laughs) And it's too expensive for you now. My name Mm -hmm. is Liz. My name is, oh, I came up with a new one. The Black Tar Ashkenazi. We are joined, of course, by Young Chomsky. And the podcast is called, what's it called, baby? It's called True Anon, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. That's what you want.